Don't be afraid to hire out the things that you're not good at. My time is not best spent putting seeds in a tray. Those are things that have to happen, but that's not adding a whole lot of value to my business. Hey there, I'm Emily Steele, and I help local business owners turn their pie-in-the-sky visions into amazing money-making realities. After working with hundreds of local brands, I created this podcast to give local business owners even more tools to build a simply irresistible brand. I'm ready to be your personal point guard and assist you in all your business endeavors, one interview, episode, and idea at a time. Together, we'll tackle the topics that you need help with the most to make your brand a force to be reckoned with on all fronts. Through interviews with other awesome business owners and experts who are currently crushing it to tip-focused episodes centered around need-to-know topics like social media and email marketing, we'll span the entrepreneurial horizon and provide you with the resources you need to take your brand straight to the top and then some. Let's do this. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Local to Legend. Today, I have Jenny Quiner here with me. Jenny is the owner of Dogpatch Urban Gardens. And Dogpatch is an urban farm here in the Des Moines area that specializes in growing organic produce for people of Des Moines. The mission of Dogpatch is to inspire health of humans, the community, and the land. They do this through growing organic produce, hosting on-farm events, supporting other local growers and producers, and using regenerative farming practices to enhance the soil. The business has evolved to become more and more diversified since inception in 2015. Their main produce sales avenue are their online store, which emerged during COVID, to local restaurants through a modified CSA known as a salad subscription. And this season, they will be vending at the downtown Des Moines Farmer's Market. They run an on-farm Airbnb, also known as Urban Farm Stay. And they also host on-farm events with their farm stand to fork dinner that features some of Des Moines' finest chefs. This past year, they are adding value-added products and looking to expand these products into wholesale accounts. The farm continues to grow each year, and Jenny has done such an amazing job of evolving with the needs and desires of her customers. So I'm excited to chat about her journey to become an urban farmer on today's episode. So Jenny, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Great to be here. Yeah. So tell us, did you grow up a farmer? No, not at all. No. <laughs> I, um, I I grew up here in Des Moines. Uh, my dad's a businessman. My mom's a nurse. I actually had a pretty strong background in athletics and health. Uh, so no, never thought in my wildest dreams that I would be a farmer. Uh, but here we are today. Yeah. That's something I love about your story. Cause you just assume you have like some sort of background in it. I feel like it just seems so like such a foreign thing to do, but you figured it out. So what were you doing before you opened dog patch? Where to start. So my husband mm-hmm. and I, uh, we were living out in Colorado. I had graduated from the university of Iowa with a degree in health promotions. Uh, we relocated out to Fort Collins. I was working in a health club there and then actually went to grad school out there to get my master's in education uh, because I played college basketball and always had this thought that I'd be a teacher and a coach. And then we moved back to Des Moines. I taught at Dowling Catholic High School for six years, was doing the coaching gig. In those six years, I had my three little boys and was just like, I love teaching, but my heart was getting pulled elsewhere. While I was at Dowling, I taught environmental science and loved it and always was inspired by the sustainable agriculture unit that we did. And then it kind of got me thinking, well, maybe I could do something with this. You know, maybe I could uh, grow my own food for the community and start our business and have more flexibility with raising my kids in a farm environment. And it all just kind of snowballed from there. Mm -hmm. You're, you're like, okay, we're going to do some of this like gardening essentially, but you obviously like then bought land 
and like kind of have like this full production thing going on. So I feel like that in and of itself was like a really big move. So how did that come about? The property that our farm is on is in the neighborhood known as the Dog Patch. And that's why we call it Dog Patch Urban Gardens. My family and I, we live two to three blocks away, still in the neighborhood. And so this all came about when the house where the farm is, it went for sale by owner. And we had actually a connection to the family. I taught their daughter at Dowling. So we um, basically bought the house and a quarter acre from them uh, with the idea that we would flip the home and maybe sell the house and I would use the land. We actually flipped the home and then kept the house and have it as an Airbnb now. So we saw an opportunity there. Uh, but then we bought more land on the adjacent property so and reparceled it off. And so over there in total, we own an acre of that land where the farm is. And then we also rent land from a woman across the street. Um, she has a two acre property that she leases to us. Um, so it allows us to grow roughly on just under an acre of land. So it's like things just kind of piecemealed together to work to our benefit. We mm-hmm. also have property two blocks away from our main farm that our friends let us use. Uh, so it's just kind of like over time, people have seen what we're doing and want to support us. And they're like, well, we've got this land. We don't want to spend our time mowing the lawn. Do you want to farm it? And so it's all just kind of grown organically. Mm-hmm. So when you had this land, this first this first piece of property, were you, how did you decide, like, what am I going to plant first? Like, was it based on like what like probably weather, profitability, like how did you make these decisions initially? Yeah, I would say the first uh, key factor was profitability and knowing the amount of space that we have. Because when you say you're a farmer and you grow on less than an acre of land, people are like, how are you making a living doing that? Yeah, Because, you know, you think about Iowa, most farmers are growing corn and soybeans. They have thousands of acres. It's a whole different business model. But for us, lettuce and salad greens are our key crops. And those are high value crops. And what's great about them is, We can grow them almost all season long, especially in our high tunnels, and we can get multiple cuts off of one bed. And so we can cut on it multiple times and continue to make profit off of it. So within planting to harvest, it's only six weeks. Now, if we were to grow something like Brussels sprouts, which is such a cool plant, but you're planting it in May and you don't even get a harvest off of it until October. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, it just sits in the ground for so long, not making you any money. So in the farming scheme of what we grow, we're very intentional. And a lot of it comes down to what makes us money, but also what do people want to buy? Yeah. So you started with like, what makes you money? And then obviously people started buying. So let's say like your first, the first growing season, was that 2015? It was officially 2016. So we bought the property fall of 2015. Okay. So you have all of these salad greens. Like how did you start what, what did you do to get the word out? I kind of remember yeah. this, like from the media, like you got some pretty good media attention yeah. for a while. Yeah, we've oh, wow. uh, been blessed to get some great coverage just in the local media. You know, just they they love the idea of an urban female farmer. They jump all over that. And, and frankly, I'll I'll reach out to them when there's a story, to yeah. be, you know, because they're they're all about these feel good stories to help mm-hmm. promote what people are doing. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, we got great media coverage. We started small. Uh, When we launched the business, we had our logo set. We had our website set. We had social media up and running. Uh, We also started with a small CSA, which stands for Community Supported Agriculture. I think our first year, we had 12 people. Last year, we had 85. I established connections with restaurants and having chefs promote you on on their menu and talk about you really gives you a lot of clout in, in the industry. So there were a lot of different ways that we reached our customers and spread the word about the business. Mm-hmm. I feel like I remember when you were doing microgreens 
that started getting into restaurants. And I felt like that was, I just kind of remember that. That's how we initially connected with chefs is I would bring them a tray of fresh microgreens because I didn't want to show up empty handed, you know, because, oh, great. I don't want to waste my time with this new farmer. But if I said, hey, I'm going to come at this time. I have this for you to sample. Give me feedback. Uh, They really appreciated that. And then they used it and bought exactly. So exactly. great strategy, Jenny, way to go. <laughs> <laughs> Show up with something of value. Yeah, I like it. So you've got kind of your first year, you're doing farmer's markets and you started the CSA, which is considered a salad subscription, right? Yep. So how does, can you tell uh, listeners what, what this means? They've never heard of a CSA or yeah. salad subscription. Yeah. So CSA, the big picture is it stands for community supported agriculture. And it's basically... Uh, Your customers are supporting the farmer um, early in the season. And so typically what it looks like is you get different types of shares. So a full share, a half share during the harvest season. Uh, For us, our salad subscription, we kind of shortened it up to fit with what we grow. And so people get salad greens in the fixins weekly and they pick it up at the farm. But what's neat is they pay ahead of time. And so if you think about how farming works and cash flow, In the spring, farmers don't have a lot of money coming in, but there's a lot of expenses when you think about purchasing seeds, purchasing soil amendments, paying for labor and so on. So Mm -hmm. the CSAs really help the farmers get going. It's almost like a built-in insurance plan for many Mm -hmm. farmers. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. And then is it like a monthly subscription basically that people are committed to through X amount of months? Yeah. So ours is set up to be 12 weeks. We do 12 weeks in the spring and then we do 12 weeks in the fall. Cool. And so you're out there, you know, growing all of this, these vegetables and fruits. Like, is it just you when you got started or did you have someone out there helping you besides your fit or maybe it was your family Yeah, <laughs> was uh, involved? Well, starting off, it was me um, because frankly, I didn't know what I was doing. And so the idea of hiring someone was like, how am I, how am I going to train them yeah. to do something? I don't know what to do. So uh, that was year one was pretty much me. And I had uh, another woman that jumped in and helped out and was fantastic. And then as I got more in tune to what I was doing, I realized pretty quickly that I need help. I can't manage it all. So over the years, we've hired employees. Uh, last year, we had a full-time employee this in the field. This year, we'll have two full-time employees in the field. Mm-hmm. And then I, I work in the field as well, but I am finding myself getting pulled in other directions. Yeah. So my hands are not in the soil as much as they used to be, mm-hmm. which I enjoy and I also miss. Uh, but yeah. the thing about farming is it's so labor-intensive. And with our scale, we're not using tractors where you just sit on things and to weed. Everything's done by hand. Uh, and mm-hmm. so it's, it's uh, intensive on your body. And I'm yeah. very aware of that. And I'm not saying I'm old, but I'm not getting yeah. any younger. And so having, having strong backs and younger yeah. labor is very beneficial. Yeah. Was it? I'm trying to remember what those jobs everyone did in high school was like. What were those things oh, that like, people did? Tasseling corn. Yes. It's like, <laughs> yeah. I never did that, but I felt like everyone young, like in my high school was doing that. I was like, yeah, this is just, is it just like hard work and it's just annoying and tedious and just easier <laughs> to hire young people to do it? It's, it's somewhat. I mean, I somewhat. still like the tasseling, that's a whole different beast. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but when we, when we think about like the labor that's happening at dog patch, in yeah. the summer, when it's the really busy season, it's just early mornings, uh, especially when, when you're growing lettuce. If you're going to harvest it, you have to harvest it before the heat comes out, before it's getting okay. by the sun, because then it just wilts. So there's yeah. a lot of early mornings, you know, you're dealing with the heat, you're dealing with humidity and bugs. So you're just a product of nature and mm-hmm. you have to be able to adapt to it. 
Mm-hmm. So on your property, you also have the farm stand. Mm-hmm. So what is this? Yes. Tell yes. About that. So the farm stand really came on board. I believe it was about three seasons ago. Um, and it was this idea that, you know, we did the Beaverdale farmer's market. And like I said, it introduced us to a lot of people, but I was thinking, you know, instead of like having to transport all of my stuff to a market, why don't I just bring people to me? And so we created mm-hmm. this farm store, which in an urban environment works really well because there's yeah. high population, a lot of people driving by. You know, if we were doing what we were doing out in a rural area, it would be more difficult. But we basically have created this locally sourced grocery store. So we sell our products, but then we also work with other locals, other growers, other makers to sell their wares as well, too. And the store was going great. And then, of course, you know, we dealt with COVID coming and impacting how the store looked. So basically what we did is we just shifted it all online last year. Mm -hmm. And it was this shotgun. Oh, my goodness. Let's figure it out as we go. Uh, but it's gone really well for us. And it's allowed us to keep the store open year round because typically mm-hmm. we were seasonal and we'd just be open May through November. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now we've, we've kept the store running through the winter. You know, we don't have as much of our products, but we're still able to source from other growers. We're working with new distributors and getting new relationships with uh, more regional uh, distribution as well, which just helps okay. us to stay more stocked and more diversified. Yeah. I love your online shop. I went in and kind of gave it, went through it too. And I know some of the hummingbirds are doing that now Mm -hmm. too. So like, what a great experience. I think like, I mean, you're kind of forced to pivot, but it, it it ended up working out for you. Would you say that's true? Yeah, totally. And it's been this great new sales avenue for us and we're going to write it out as long as we can. Mm -hmm. I'm interested to see as, you know, things change and people want to be shopping in person and, and those sorts of things. I'm interested to see if the sales stay. Because we're pretty steady weekly. I can tell you kind of how many people will order and so on. Once farmer's market opens up and people are going there, things may evolve. And so I'm expecting that the online store sales will decrease, which is Mm -hmm. totally fine because Mm -hmm. we're prepping to reopen the farm stand certain days of the week. And we're we're ready to adjust when that time comes. Mm -hmm. Because I really do think people are itching to come to the farm more and experience the farm in person more now that COVID is getting whatever it's doing right now, but people are just, you know, I don't yeah. know, but people are just getting that kind of itch to come, yeah. come to us. Yep. Oh my gosh. I'm like looking ahead. I'm like, what is my social calendar going to look like? I want to do so many things. I'm like, Oh yeah, I'm a new parent too though. So I got to make sure I like, you know, I know. yeah. <laughs> so, for my kid. It's like, we we're not really like, you can't really plan ahead because the second we plan ahead, things change, but yeah. we're, we're projecting what we think is going to be happening in the future. We're actually launching our farm to table dinners on sa- this coming Saturday. Ooh, talk about that. Yeah. So this will be year number three and we love hosting these at the farm. So we in the past have done four dinners a season and that number kind of works well for us. So we get some of Des Moines finest chefs, um, some of our big supporters that buy from us and we feature them for a fun dinner at the farm. It's all fresh. It's all local. And it features a lot of the items in the farm stand as well. So Mm -hmm. um, great way to meet people and like get on the farm and just have a new environment. If you're used to just going to restaurants for dinner, it's like just a different way to yeah, eat and I mean, enjoy really good food. It's great food, great socialization. The chefs engage um, and come out mm-hmm. and, and interact with people. We, we, uh, our max capacity is 40. We've sold out okay. everyone. Uh, so, you know, 40 is not a huge number. So you can still have that intimate feel. And last year we still hosted them uh, because we do them outside and we felt comfortable. Sure. Uh, we shifted mm-hmm. in, instead of selling by the seat, we sold by the table. 
So we've had people okay. would be comfortable dining oh, yeah. with, you know, their pod. Um, yeah. and you could still stay distance from people. So we'll do that same setup this year and go from there. Ooh, that's so exciting. Okay, so we've got like farm table dinners. We've got your farm stand. What I'm excited about, your elderberry syrup. Mm-hmm. Like you're kind of like shifting into some of your own products. Like yes. I mentioned in the, the intro and like bringing that to mark to wholesale. Mm-hmm. Like, tell me about that process. That's yeah. super cool. So uh, about three years ago when we started to host the farm to table dinners, the reason that happened or the reason we started to host that was because we built an addition on our farm stand. And when we put the addition on, we put a commercial kitchen in the building. And so having that commercial kitchen space just opens up new opportunities for us. So, you know, one where the dinners could be prepared on site, but two, we can now do value added products. Our our kind of key products are salad dressings, a salad enhancer and the elderberry syrup. And those are items that we make in house and they fit with our model. So, you know, we're known for our salad greens. So why not continue to have more of a diverse offerings with the salad dressings? Mm They're healthy. They're made with avocado oil because a lot of times people want to eat healthy. So they get a salad and then you plop this ranch ranch on there or whatever. And there's canola yeah. oil. And there's all these added calories. So uh, yeah. we create them with the intention of keeping your salads healthy. Uh, and then the elderberry syrup is has a lot of immunity boosting qualities and is really known to impact the flu virus in a positive way. It's It's been interesting this year with COVID because there's a lot of questions about elderberry syrup and COVID. And the other weird thing this year is everyone's like, the flu is gone, you know, because all the yeah. cases, you know, disappeared. And so we've had a weird sales cycle with elderberry this year. Uh, sure. uh, there was um, kind of a decrease and then it went back up and now it's really going up. I can't, I can't read it. <laughs> it's strange. Yeah. Um, but there's some research being done in England right now with COVID and elderberries in general. So I'm excited to see what comes out with that. Uh, but, but overall, the trend of elderberry syrup sales have been really on the, on the rise. So cool. I feel like we covered a lot of like your lines of business, like mm-hmm. so much stuff is going on with dog patch, which is really cool. So how do you, so it's like six years into this, mm-hmm. what do you feel like, is there a key lesson you've learned that you feel like someone getting started in this journey should know from, so from what you've gone through? Yeah. I, oh God. It's like, where to begin, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, I think having good mentors, uh, whether they're directly in the industry that you're in, or whether it's like, in my example, my husband, just understanding business, but having those people you can rely on. Another key thing is don't be afraid to hire out the things that you're not good at. Um, Mm -hmm. And and it, it, that's easier said than done, especially when you're bootstrapping and you can't seem to find a way to make that all work. But a good example for me is last year, I hired a bookkeeper and it's like, Oh, so nice. I know what I pay her. And it's out of my, I budgeted in but I've actually yeah. saved money on her because I, my accountant doesn't charge nearly as much mm. anymore when he's filing taxes because hey. his hourly rate was a lot higher than my bookkeeper. So, sure. you know, it's, it's sometimes hiring people ends up saving you money. So I think just find your people, find your crew that you can lean on to help build as you go. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that is just like knowing your strengths and knowing like where you show up best as the business owner. There's some things like, only you, Jenny, should probably be doing like probably meeting with like wholesalers and like that is like a you thing. So like some of the other elements like just don't require you like being on the farm, like yeah. in the soil. Like you don't have to do that anymore. For a while, I bet like you needed to know that process and understand it. So then you could hire the right person, train them. But at some point, it just doesn't need you. It's yeah. just no, it's so grown up and you know, just even today, my my new employee, she just officially started full time this week. And it's like, I now have SOPs where I can train her 
She can start doing it and I can walk away because my, my time is not best spent putting seeds in a tray. Those are things that have to happen, but that's not adding a whole lot of value to my business. So while she was doing that, I was on a phone call with a co-packer setting up a meeting so that we can talk about scaling up salad dressings. And obviously that's much better use of my time. Yep. And it probably takes some time to just really sit back and look at those tasks and be like, okay, what is, I've done an exercise where it's like the $10 task, the $100 task, like the $1,000 an hour task, you know, like the only like really the owner, visionary CEO should be doing. And it's very eye-opening when you sit back and look at how you're spending your time in your day and like what you could outsource. So I love that you mentioned that because it is a risk to bring someone on, right? You're giving them the dollars that you could have either put in the business or given to yourself. But I've always found that it allows more space for profit generating tasks. So I'm glad that you have also experienced that. It, for me personally, I have so much headspace. And in, if I'm over-focusing on one thing, then something else is failing maybe. Because it's not just, my headspace is not only business. It's what do my right. kids need? What, am I, what does my husband need? And all of those things. And so having your crew and support system to help lessen your load uh, yeah. is super valuable. Mm-hmm. That's so true. So since you are kind of like a farming expert, I know like as this comes out, some people will be starting their own like little garden at home. And I find it so intimidating. By the way, do you ever offer any like classes for beginners and yeah, so people who think they want to figure it out? A few years ago, we had some classes at the farm. They went really well. Last year with COVID, we put them on hold. Uh, so this year I just did individual garden consultations and sold okay. those. And they went great. And I basically will go to people's homes and help walk them through the whole process. We actually oversold this year. So I removed them from the website because it's like I'm too booked. Um, But yeah, that's that's something that people really enjoy. I did. I did three last week and it was so fun just to see people's property, what they want to do. and, And I really enjoyed that. Oh, that's so cool. I feel like, yeah, going to someone's actual home is probably way different than doing even like a course or Mm -hmm. like getting a YouTube, like YouTube advice. So we just started our little seedlings. They aren't germinating yet, but I'm like, (laughs) maybe that's okay. Like there's so many things. So if someone is getting started, did you find some like initial resources really helpful? Yeah. So locally, there's an organization, if you're in Iowa, called Practical Farmers of Iowa. Mm-hmm. And that is a fantastic group of farmers, um, not all vegetable garden. We got row crop, we have livestock, but it's just a great resource with amazing people. Uh, but even on a smaller scale, like you can learn anything online anymore. I, I feel like I'm an online taught farmer. I found my niche of people that were successful in market gardening and have kind of ridden their coattails to what works mm-hmm. for my market. So like, yeah, there's tons of different resources. I think it's just with gardening and a lot of things, you can kind of get analysis paralysis where you sure. just over-research and look into too much stuff. Mm-hmm. Find something that you like, find something you trust, focus on that, and then use their information to build whatever you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as you were getting started, I'm curious about this. Like, I imagine maybe you face a little bit of like imposter syndrome. Like, I'm going to become a farmer. Like, you know, what it, like, I've never done this. Like, will people think I'm credible? Did you have any of those thoughts initially come to mind? Sure. You know, they're yeah. there. I don't think it was over-consuming or anything like that because I kind of just focused on what I was doing and how I can yeah. be successful and uh, had a good support system to kind of help me through that. But I think, I think that like naturally that's there, especially yeah. with social media, just in your world all the time, you, mm-hmm. you just see everyone's successes, you know, on what they mm-hmm. post. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I, it's, it's relevant, but it's just how can you manage it and kind of stay in your world? Yeah. Stay in your lane, like put the blinders on sometimes yep. just to not have to compare and be like, oh, is this right? Is this wrong? So I love that you just 
just went up, went for it. Like it's yeah. so awesome. So anything else about dog passion, your experience that you feel like listeners would want to know? Gosh, I wish I had like this big aha moment, but I, I think like, you know, it's just when you're running a business, there's so many things you don't know and you have to kind of acknowledge that and just figure out your, your systems and your people that can help guide you through it. I mean, even like, like you've been a great resource in, in podcasts and having your, I've got my farmer buddies where if I have a pest issue, I can just reach yeah. out to them. So it's really just establishing your team of people that's going to be your support system throughout. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, take classes, educate yourself. You can never, you know, we talk about analysis paralysis where it's like just too much yeah. information, but I also think that you should always be learning uh, to be better in whatever you're doing. Mm-hmm. I love it. So if people are interested in all the things you have going on, where do they find you? So our website is dogpatchurbangardens.com. We're on Facebook, Dogpatch Urban Gardens, and Instagram as well. It'd be dogpatch underscore urban underscore gardens. Those are kind of our key main sites. Awesome. Well, thanks for being on the show today. It's so great to share your story and get to know you more, a little more every time we get together. Of course. All right, my friends, I have some big news. This is the last episode of season one of Local to Legend. We are going to take the summer off and we're going to get to chat with you about all of the episodes and the content that you are loving, that you want to see more of, that we can really focus on to serve and support you. So I'm so excited we ended on a high note with Jenny. I think all of our interviews are super fun and amazing, but we knew that if you're local in Des Moines too, you have a fun little new business. Hopefully you can visit and support. So in the meantime, this summer, we have a lot of things going on at Love Local. Just because the podcast is taking a break doesn't mean we are. So we've got some workshops coming up. We've got local business school that's open for enrollment. We have so many things that we're continuing to create to meet you where you're at as you grow your business and really focus on building an authentic, engaging, high converting online presence. So as always, hit us up over on Instagram at love.local and let us know how we can support you. But thank you, thank you, thank you for showing up to the last episode of season one. And we will see you when we start season two later this summer. 